I'm running because I really got to the point where I felt that government was not representing everybody. The special interests seemed to get all the focus and attention, and that's not to me the, the way government should function. And so I really felt that I needed to not assume that someone else would step up, that it was time for me to step up, and I uh, was given an opportunity to run for state senate, and I have embraced it, and here I am. Welcome to Spotlight 19, the podcast tracking Congressional Representative John Faso and all things District New York 19. Justin Tracy here. And I'm Sasha Tracy. We've been traveling across the pond and it was so nice to get a break from this relentless news cycle. But with only a little more than a month to go until the most important midterm elections of our time, we need to get to work. And what a terrible news cycle it has been. On today's show, an update from the New York 19 congressional race between Antonio Delgado and John Faso. A recap of Faso's September votes and an interview with Karen Smythe, state Senate candidate for District 41. So in our last few episodes, we spoke about racist ads attacking our Democratic candidate, Antonio Delgado. The Republicans have been using his decade-old rap career against him by having ads that include some of the lyrics out of context. The first round of ads were funded by Super PAC Congressional Leadership Fund, which is an outfit sponsored by Paul Ryan. And what Faso actually did is try to distance himself from these ads by saying that he had no contact with these super PACs. And this was easy for him to do because the law actually prohibits uh, coordination between candidates and super PACs. But the latest round of attack ads against Delgado are actually funded by the National Republican Congressional Committee, or NRCC, and we know that Faso coordinates regularly with this committee. It is not a super PAC, so he's really lost that plausible deniability he had for this latest round of attack ads, which I would add were actually pulled from the radio, which is a pretty drastic measure by Radio Woodstock a few weeks ago. It's horrible the Republicans demand Antonio answer for every lyric on his rap album and cherry-picking quotes from a political and artistic work to destroy Antonio's reputation. Meanwhile, Republicans, including John Faso, have all been lining up to support Judge Brett Kavanaugh, who has allegations of sexual assault against him and has committed perjury. He's shown blatant partisanship and political bias and seems to have a serious drinking problem. And these are qualities that we don't want in a judge. Here's what Faso said regarding Kavanaugh. It's very difficult for me to agree that uncooperated allegations of misconduct from when someone was in high school should be used to destroy this man's reputation, career, and family. Here's my message to Faso. No one is trying to destroy Kavanaugh. We are merely questioning his worthiness to serve on the Supreme Court. Each day there's just so much more hypocrisy on the Republicans' part. Antonio has been pretty supportive of Dr. Christine Blasey Ford's coming forward, and one of the starkest contrast for me between Faso and Delgado has been their respective positions on women's issues and the Me Too movement. Antonio supported the Me Too movement. He supports the Equal Pay Act. He supports reproductive rights for women. He's been endorsed by Planned Parenthood. Meanwhile, 
John Faso, as we all know, voted 21 times against equal pay for equal work. He voted for a bill that would curtail women's reproductive rights. And, you know, he is not a strong advocate for the Me Too movement. He's almost never brought it up. And he still supports abusers right here in New York 19, like Rensselaer County Executive Steve McLaughlin. You can just look at Faso's support from Mike Pence to know he doesn't care about women. Pence's PAC gave Faso lots of money over this year, and tomorrow, Faso's holding a $5,000 entry fee fundraiser in New York City with Mike Pence. I can't help but wonder how someone like Faso, who has a brother who is part of the LGBTQ community, can stand with Pence, who literally wants to erase this community. So many things about Republicans are so confusing, and... Now, I guess we'll turn to Faso's votes in September. He actually voted against making the GOP tax cuts permanent for individuals, but it's likely that Faso was given a pass again by Paul Ryan since the polls are so close between Faso and Delgado. This vote will allow Faso to keep the appearance that he's bipartisan, that he didn't actually support the tax cuts, but we all know that he was the key vote that allowed the GOP tax cut out of committee. So even though he voted no, these times it was likely he was given a pass. He hasn't spoken out strongly against it. In fact, this vote wasn't even included in Faso's weekly email that recaps, you know, what he does every week. Faso also voted in favor of broadening the definition of crimes of violence for immigration proceedings. This basically lengthens the list of violent crimes in which legal and illegal immigrants could be deported. It's a veiled attempt to incarcerate more immigrants in for-profit prisons for longer periods of time. So in addition to these two votes, there were some other votes, some short-term spending bills that were voted on, but nothing too notable. FASO is pushing to increase the amount of federal land in the FDR historic site. And he also attended the post office naming ceremony in Saugerties honoring late Congressman Maurice Hinchy. But I think over the next few weeks, you'll see less votes and more time spent campaigning as we gear up for the November 6th election. There are some one-on-one debates scheduled between Faso and Delgado. One will be on October 19th up in Albany, hosted by WMHT. There will be a candidates forum hosted by WAMC on October 23rd. And... There will be a few other occasions that we can see Antonio and Fazo go head-to-head and kind of see how different the two are. But we'll keep going with Spotlight 19 and have a few more episodes featuring some more of our local candidates. And with that, we're now going to turn to our interview with Karen Smythe. She's running for Senate in the 41st district and our interview was recorded a few weeks ago but this week Karen Smythe was actually endorsed by President Barack Obama in Obama's second round of endorsements so uh, again our state senate candidates contributing to them is more important than ever if we can turn the New York state senate a true blue we can really combat against some of the measures the Trump administration is taking by codifying things like a woman's right to choose and 
environmental laws and all of our great state senate candidates that we've interviewed so far are going to do what they can to make sure new york is really a leader against the measures this administration has been taking so with that uh, let's hear from karen smythe and again a contribution to a state senate candidate is going to make so much more of an impact because you know if karen smythe can raise enough money for a tv spot she'll have so much more of a chance of winning the election. So listen to our interview. And if you can, please contribute either money or time. So today we're welcoming Karen Smythe, who is running for state Senate here in New York's 41st district. Uh, thank you so much, Karen, for being here. Could you tell us a little bit about why you're running and a little bit about your background? I know your family goes back a few generations in the district. Yes, it does. Thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. Um, so I was actually born and raised in the city of Poughkeepsie, and I'm, I am fourth generation to have run our family's union construction business, CB Strain and Son. And I've been very involved in the community, various different uh, organizations like the Mid-Hudson Children's Museum, uh, the Bardavon Theater. Um, I've been a soccer coach and a Sunday school teacher. And I'm running because I really got to the point where I felt that government was not representing everybody. The special interests seemed to get all the focus and attention, and that's not to me the, the way government should function. And so I really felt that I needed to not assume that someone else would step up, that it was time for me to step up, and uh, was given an opportunity to run for state senate. And I have embraced it, and here I am. Great. One of the things we were talking about before we got on the mic was your position on education and how it's the stark contrast to your opponent, Sue Serino, who supports sending state money to charter schools. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your plans for education and um, what you've been hearing as you've been canvassing uh, out in in your district? Um, yeah, education is so foundational. It is one of the things I'm most passionate about because I think an educated society is is so important, but it's also the basis for opportunity for everyone. And uh, I believe that our public education system is, it's a good one. Are there things that need to be improved? Absolutely. And one of the things that I'm concerned about is we need to be educating our students for the jobs that exist today. Things are changing so fast. We need to make sure that the students have the skills they need to adapt and to work in the jobs that are out there. And one of the things that I am hearing is while people um, appreciate higher education, sometimes that's not right for every kid. And having run a construction business, we worked with two unions, one, the Pipefitter Plumber Union Local 21, and also Local 38 Sheet Metal Workers. They have a phenomenal training program, and they're, it's very good-paying jobs, and they need more people. And they're having to go out of state right now because they have more work than they have workers. And that, to me, is a real shame. And I think there would be some students who would find that kind of work to be very satisfying. And I think that we can incorporate that more into our education system um, so that kids see that as an opportunity. Sure. What is your position on charter schools and publicly funding you know, such schools, um, especially in yeah, New York so, City? Yeah, um, so my position is that we should be funding our public education. We should not be siphoning money away from the public education system to charter schools, particularly not for-profit charter schools. 
And, um, and I really do believe that um, we should be working with the people who are on the front lines every day, and that's our teachers. They're the ones who know their kids best and know how best to work and improve the skills of the students that they have. Sure, absolutely. And you were recently endorsed by uh, that yes, NISA? that is correct. Is that correct? I'm very proud of that. And that, and that actually is one of many endorsements. Um, have you gotten any union endorsements? You mentioned that your family business uh, is works with two prominent unions. In and the I district. am being supported by both of those unions. Um, and I recently got the New York State AFL CIO endorsement. I have the New York State Building Trades, uh, Building and Construction Trades endorsement, and and many others. So yes, um, I do have quite a few union endorsements. Could you speak a little bit? The federal government's kind of trying to push back against unions, um, and they really are kind of the backbone of working families, um, especially in your district, as you've seen firsthand through your experience. Could you tell us a little bit about how? Uh, you might have any plans to make sure the federal government doesn't, uh, you know, succeed in its assault on, on yeah, labor. Yeah, thank you very much for that question, because it's a really important one. Um, I was management, and I worked with unions. I even sat on a, a negotiating uh, committee when we were negotiating a new salary with Local 38. And what I realize is that um, an individual employee is never going to have the same weight as management all by themselves. And so to have access to a collective bargaining unit is really essential for workers to have a balanced discussion over what kind of benefits they should be getting so that they can share in the success of a company. And that may be where I come at it a little bit uniquely because I do understand the management side of the position, um, which makes me that much more of an advocate for unions because I think the workers deserve a living wage. They deserve to be heard, and they deserve not to have to go out on a limb as an individual. So to have that collective bargaining unit is so important. And one of the things, while I will not be able to affect directly federal um, activities, the state has a significant amount of power. And there are things that we can do in the state to protect a worker's right to um, collectively bargain and to protect the unions um, within our state. And hopefully we can be a model for others. And in this situation where we have um, the, the income disparity between the top and the bottom is getting wider and wider, I think unions are the ones that can bring us back together and change that income disparity. Sure. And labor, actually, one of the chief benefits a labor union can provide to its members is health care. And I wanted to know more about your position on health care. Some of the other Senate candidates that we've had here are supporting the New York Health Act. Uh, could you speak about your position on health care here in New York Yes, State? I will start by saying the unions do provide health insurance to all their workers. And that was always something that I appreciated because when a job was finished, and we laid, we laid workers off, I always knew that they could hang on to their, their health care, and that, that was important to me. I do support the New York Health Act. I do believe that we should be providing basic quality health care to everyone. Uh, the fact that we as the wealthiest nation in the world are not doing that now is, is uh, frankly shameful, and, and it's very frustrating that it doesn't seem that we're all moving towards making that happen. As an employer, the workers in the office, we provided health insurance, and every year health insurance would go up double digits with no additional benefits, nothing extra, just a double-digit increase in providing that benefit, and that's just not 
sustainable. And so I do believe that the New York Health Act that leads us to single-payer health care is something that is viable. It can and should reduce our costs, and it covers everyone, which is what we should be striving for. Sure. And actually, your district is the home to the hospitals that are always recommended for people across the river as well. Have you had a chance to meet with, uh, you know, people in the healthcare industry in your district? And what have you heard from them regarding that? Uh, so I was actually born at Vassar Brothers Hospital um, a few years ago. And then the Mid-Hudson Regional Hospital um, that used to be called St. Francis um, are very much in the heart of in the heart of the district. I have met with a couple of people, and you know, fundamentally, knowing that you're going to be paid for the services that you provide is something that the hospitals would very much look forward to. I think the transition from where we are today to the ultimately being at single payer, there are probably some uh, bumps in the road that we need to be very careful that we do correctly. Um, but I think ultimately the um, the healthcare institutions would like to know what they're going to be paid and know that everyone who walks in the building is covered and they don't have to spend all the time that they currently do talking to, fighting with all the various different health insurance companies that will actively look to not, not provide coverage as much as they can. Sure. And the reason I brought up those two hospitals is our pediatrician actually recommended that we go across the river for care for pediatric care. And along the same vein, I was recommended to go to Upper Duchess for maternity care. So that kind of brings me to the next issue, which is women's issues. Um, You know, there's going to be potentially an assault on Roe v. Wade. One of the ways to combat that is to have the states push back against that. What are your positions on a woman's right to choose and um, how do they contrast with Senator Serena? So let me start by saying congratulations. And I'm very, I'm, I'm proud to um, have these two hospitals in our, in our district. And so I'm glad to hear that you were recommended because they are excellent hospitals. Um, so as it relates to women's rights, I have been a longtime supporter of Planned Parenthood, for example, and I firmly believe that women should have the right to make their own choices about their reproductive health such that they can discuss with their doctor, with their family, with their minister if they choose. This is not something that should be decided and determined by the government. And Roe v. Wade, if it is overturned in the state of New York, women would lose the right to have control over their own reproductive health. And so there is a bill called the Reproductive Health Act that I'm a strong supporter of, and we, need to, we do need to pass that in New York State so that the women in New York State are protected should Roe v. Wade be overturned. Um, and that is, a, that is a significant contrast to the current Senator Sue Serino. She does not support that. There's also another bill, the um, Comprehensive Contraceptive Coverage Act, which is hard to say fast, and that requires health insurance companies to cover all forms of contraception. And current senator doesn't support that either. There's so much evidence on how important that is for women, for their health, for their families, for their economic benefit. Um, And to me, that should have been passed a long time ago. Sure. I mean, after the passage of the Affordable Care Act, the first time I really saw government have an impact on my me personally was when uh, employers were required to cover contraception and you know you actually saw the cost of contraception go down 
as a result of something the government actually did. So that's definitely an act that, you know, we saw the Trump administration undo some of those protections. So it's a it's something we could accomplish. right. And I would I would add, um, as it relates to that, we have also seen around the country, there have been employers who have been trying to dictate what they do and don't cover for their own employees. And so going back to the issue of health care, if we separate it from employment, then the employer no longer has a say in what insurance they provide to their employees. And I don't think they have any right, any role in that. They shouldn't have any role in, in what health insurance uh, covers. I actually saw that you held a rally around the Child Victims Act. Pat Strong is actually similarly holding a rally, and that is an act that Sue Serino uh, also does not support. Could you speak a little bit as to why that act is so important and you know what, what made you want, want to have this rally to bring awareness to this issue? Absolutely. The Child Victims Act changes the law in the state of New York to allow child victims more time to be able to receive justice. Right now, you have to file a lawsuit within, I believe, five years of when you turn 18. And for some children, some of the trauma that they have gone through by being sexually abused by someone as a child, it takes longer than that to get to a place where they're strong enough to be able to confront their abuser. And so this is something that should have been changed a long time ago. And the Child Victims Act extends the statute of limitation for filing a lawsuit against their perpetrator of the crime, and it provides a one-year look back for anyone who has been abused. And we need to be supporting the victims and not protecting the predators. And we've certainly had plenty of evidence of that over the last few years, that it's, sexual abuse is much more prevalent than anyone wants it to be, and we need to make that change. Sure, even in the last few weeks, as we've seen, in, unfortunately, in Pennsylvania, uh, this issue is, seems to always be in the headlines, turning to something a little bit more positive. You have now been campaigning since about February, That's is about that right. correct? Where can people find out how to get involved with the campaign? Uh, where are you going to be next, over the next month in September, as we approach the November 6th So I think the answer is I'll be everywhere. But the best way is to check out my website, which is karen4nysenate.com, because we are posting events and activities on the website. Um, Another way would be my Facebook page. You can find my Facebook page if you you look up Karen for NY Senate. And um, we have canvassing rallies all over the district. We have phone banks going on in a few places. I will be out knocking on doors most nights of the week. And we have meet and greets around the district. Had one last night, have one coming up. And, and getting involved is in a whole variety of ways. Certainly making phone calls, knocking on doors, even if housing a volunteer, that sort of thing is all very helpful. Even just putting a lawn sign out and telling your neighbors, that's all very helpful. Sure. Well, Karen, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Spotlight 19. We'll be back soon. On our next episode, we'll be talking with Tistria Hartley. And until next time, keep the faith.